Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and tonight's episode is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-focused group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives. They focus on the growth of hockey in Hong Kong and southern China, as well as the development of student-athletes, where sporting goals are achieved alongside educational pursuits. The CHG is comprised of a number of hockey programs. Established in 2011, the CIHL is Hong Kong's elite adult hockey league. The Junior Tigers program is Hong Kong's premier youth hockey organization, featuring the Scotia Bank Island League and Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs. The SCIHL is an adult league for those seeking a more recreational experience. In addition, the CHG showroom is the exclusive reseller of Bauer Warrior hockey equipment and offers services including skate sharpening and fittings. For more information and links to their social media sites, go visit ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. My guest today is from the 416, beautiful Toronto, Canada. His love for hockey and incredible puck handling skills have taken him places he probably didn't even know had hockey. He runs clinics all over the world, works one-on-one with some of the best players in the NHL, He's a three-time national athlete, social media influencer, and YouTube sensation. Please welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, the man with the magic mitts, Mr. Pavel Barber. How are you, Pavel? I'm good, buddy. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, You're just getting home from the rink? Yeah, yeah. Just doing some lessons on the outdoor rink here because all the indoor ones are are shut down. So life life is good here, man. Life goes on. What are the outdoor rink conditions like? What's the uh, what's the weather been like in Toronto? It's been freezing lately, so yeah. we're lucky. A lot of people uh, have natural ice surfaces, which have been going pretty good the last two weeks. But there's a lot of people in Toronto who actually have the pipes underneath, so you can oh, actually right. play in above, uh, you know, above uh, zero temperatures. So it's been uh really good a lot of a lot of people with backyard rinks here for sure that sounds like uh, some gthl infrastructure yeah <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> one of the greatest insane. minor hockey associations in the world that's it yeah, yeah. everyone's obsessed it's crazy <laughs> that's great so uh pavel let's start where it all began for you your childhood in toronto uh were you born into a hockey family yeah, like my dad played not high level or anything, but my dad loved hockey, had mm-hmm. a big passion for it. Um, I mean, he, he'll tell you himself, he wasn't very good at it, mm-hmm. and even for his, his level, but he, he had a great passion for it, and he, he just got me into it, and uh, thank God he did, because I don't know what I'd do without the sport, and he was always supportive, and it was always fun going out with him and, uh, you know, training and, and stuff. We definitely... Had a lot of great father-son bonding over it, a lot of great trips and and stuff like that. But, yeah, I grew up in Toronto, uh, just loving it, loving hockey. Brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, I got a brother four years older, sister two years older, and then I'm the baby of the family. Well, I can can sympathize with that. 
Um, but your, your <laughs> yeah, enthusiasm for hockey, uh, Pavel, is very obvious. I mean, you ooze enthusiasm. As soon as you start talking about hockey, you, you, you kind of light up. Um, were you one of those kids who was passionate about everything you did or all the sports you played, or was it specifically hockey for you? I would say a lot with everything I did, as long as I loved it. Uh, I was known as the kid who just loved sports. Uh, I, I loved the idea of getting better at the sport, learning new tricks to it, being more consistent within the skills in that sport. So I was pretty obsessed with, uh, I mean, hockey's always been my number one, but I was a big baseball player as well, played a lot of tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, got big into cycling as well um, and uh, and running and stuff like that. So I, I was just, I guess, a, a kid who loved pushing himself, loved learning new skills, but hockey was always at the forefront of my uh, you know, love for sports. It was always number one. That's awesome. And, you know, when I grew up, I was the same. Whatever whatever sport you could play any time of day, I was up for it. Um, we had road hockey because I lived on a dirt road. So, yeah, that was a little tricky, but that's why we nice. called it road hockey. And then we had street hockey. <laughs> that was hockey on a paved road. Then we had roller hockey, which I was yeah. never able to play. Pond hockey, of course, and regular hockey. You know, and I thought I had all the hockeys covered, but then... In my research for this podcast, I learned a thing or two about a few other sports uh, in the hockey realm. So field hockey, indoor hockey, and floorball in particular. Um, I want you to explain your love of these sports and and where they've all taken you because you've represented Canada nationally in these sports. And I'd just like you to touch on each one of them and and, know how did did that start for you? Yeah, a bit of a weird road. I mean, to be honest, it started with me wanting to get a day off school <laughs> because they had a, a field hockey uh, trip right. where they were letting boys play. Because usually in North America, it's kind of known as a girl sport. Yeah. Very few males play it or mm-hmm. even know what it is. And yeah. I was the same way. I was like, what is the sport? It's kind of weird. You know, everyone's a righty with the stick. You can't <laughs> use the backhand of the blade. Really weird stuff. So it started off with me just wanting a day off school. Uh, we had a tournament. I did, you know, reasonably well in it. Had a guy ask me if I wanted to try it for Team Ontario. Me as a young kid realized, you know, there's a, actually a lot of money in it at the time, especially me being a young kid. Yeah. And I enjoyed playing the sport, trying new things. So I was like, sure, took him up on it. Eventually climbed the ranks. And after two times not making Team Canada, finally uh, made the team after the third try. So, you know, in, indoor hockey is just the indoor version of field hockey. So I started playing that. That was my first Team Canada moment. Uh, it was it was cool. My first tournament, we won the Pan, Pan American Games wow. in Venezuela. So a lot of cool moments there. And then moved out to Vancouver 2012 to play field hockey for Team Canada. Finished that by 2015 and 2016 uh, World Championships of floorball. I was on team canada for that right after and that's uh I, i'm obsessed with floorball i think it's of, of the three uh teams i played for nationally that's definitely uh number one for sure that's the one i'm most interested to ask you about because first of all you, you, you mentioned the word money um people might not realize that there's money involved in these sports but they're olympic sports right so you're getting government funding so that's just for one of the three sports. So okay. floorball isn't an Olympic sport, although it's on the ballot. Hopefully it does become one. Okay. Uh, field hockey is an Olympic sport, so you're getting government money from that. Uh, yeah. And then indoor hockey isn't an Olympic sport uh, either, so no uh, government money there. 
Okay, my second question is when you were at that age, I mean, coming out of uh, university, were you were your puck handling skills already elite? Like, were you able to take those skills easily and just transfer them over to four ball and be able to, uh, you know, display your skills in, in those other sports? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a struggle, like the, the field hockey and indoor hockey, because the sticks are so short, you're right. only allowed to use the forehand. And uh, so those ones that took a lot of getting used to, it's super weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, having uh, stick handling ability there helps for sure, but there's a steep learning curve. Uh, Floorball more, I picked it up quite quick because I played a lot of ball hockey as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually bought a floorball stick uh, when I was probably 14 years old and stick handled around with it because I just loved it. I thought it was a fun new way to challenge your hands. So I was quite comfortable uh, with that one. So that one was, you know, certainly a direct uh, correlation to ice hockey, whereas the other ones were very, very different. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Can you explain four ball a little bit? Because I've watched some highlights and um, yeah, it's a very interesting game. It's fast paced. It's a small court. Can you can you talk a little bit about the game and what what you love about it the most? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's played uh, just like hockey, five on five with two goalies. Um, there's no offsides or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They use a ball that is similar in weight to a wiffle ball. Right. So it's a ball that has holes in it. It's plastic, very, very light, but it's a lot more dense than the wiffle ball. So it flies like when you shoot it, it won't like curve like crazy right. in the air. Yeah. It'll fly straight. The sticks are like feather light, like unbelievably light. If you think hockey sticks are light, these are like <laughs> a quarter of the weight. It's right. unbelievable. So the, the thing I love about floorball is everything's so fast-paced because of those two things, the lightness of the ball, the lightness of the sticks. Everything happens like two times faster. Right. So your, your thought speed has to be faster. Your stick handling skills under pressure has to be faster, and things happen quick. So if you make a mistake, uh, you're, you're going to be paying for it pretty quick in that sport, so you better be on top of your skills, and you better be one step uh, ahead of the game when you're playing floorball for sure. Sounds like uh, it's right up your alley. I mean, you got the quick hands. You're obviously very skilled, so I can see why you you uh, excelled in that sport. Um, and of course, representing yeah, Canada. Yeah, that, that was certainly easy. Yeah, representing Canada. I mean, at any level, at any time, to put on a maple leaf is is a special opportunity. Um, and are, are you are you officially done with those sports, or do you have any ambitions of playing them again at any point? Yeah, so I'm still with uh, Floorball Canada. Okay. Um, when I, I when I stopped playing field hockey in 2015, I don't think I've I don't think I've touched a field hockey stick since then. Um, I just fell out of love with that sport and yeah. uh, didn't have any uh, real inclination to to keep playing. Right. Yeah, I've seen we have floor or sorry we have field hockey here in Hong Kong, so I've seen it a few times, and I. As much as I love hockey, I don't have any inkling or ambition to give that sport a try for some reason. I just, the bent over with the small stick, I just, I, I've got a bad back already. I, it hurts just to watch them play that sport. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more, dude. It's uh, <laughs> biomechanically probably one of the worst sports for, for your body. It doesn't make sense, you know? right? Yeah. It doesn't, and and I I kind of I, like I I tore my hip flexor playing that. Oh, I never had so many injuries <laughs> um, playing sports than I did field hockey. It was pretty rough on me. Mm-hmm. Our training schedule was pretty rigorous, but I think me not playing it growing up and not being used to 
the way you put your body in those positions. You have to run so low and be so hunched over all the time. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, didn't, I hated that aspect of it. And with, you know, floorball, you could be running uh, way more upright. Like the sticks are shorter, but a lot bigger than the the field hockey sticks would be. So it's a lot uh, better coming from a hockey player. Right. Um, well, that's cool, man. Great stories about uh, some interesting sports that a lot of people don't really follow. And, and I had a hard time finding information about it, like finding find, uh, info about you and Team Canada and floorball. Like that's it's not it's not easy to track down. Um, so let's get back to the real hockey, which is ice hockey. Um, that's what we have to say over here in Asia, as you know, I have to specify. <laughs> I know you played yeah. in the GTHL, which is an incredible uh, minor hockey league. Um, you played AAA. Obviously, you were you were a skilled um, skilled player. Was there ever a point in your teens where you were thinking about playing hockey as a career? Not really. It's it's kind of weird. Like when I was a kid, I didn't really have aspirations to go high up with hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always wanted to be better. I always approached it, you know, every every day, be be better at the sport and stuff like that. Um, but I think since age like 10 or, or maybe even younger, it was kind of just, you know, I just want to play for the fun of it. I want to get good at it. I want to learn more about it. And, uh, you know, me being where I am today with my, my job and the influence I have on, on other people is, is right where I want to be. Um, I love that aspect of learning, uh, how to make other people better and, you know, for myself too, like just constantly studying the game and trying to find little ways to improve players, maybe avenues that haven't been explored yet, that maybe the game is going towards that style of play. I'm like totally obsessed with that uh, kind of analytical side of the game. So it's, uh, I think, unknowingly got to the place I wanted to be, even though as a kid, I didn't even dream to be a hockey instructor. But now, looking back on it, it's like, I don't know what else I would even do yeah, if I wasn't built doing for this. It. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ideal for you, it seems. And, uh, yeah, the, the fact that you were, you know, most kids have dreams of playing in the NHL. And, you know, it can sometimes be uh, a negative influence on their teenage years. And, you know, the, that pursuit can sometimes take kids away from other aspects of their lives and their social lives. And, you know, even playing other sports and multi-sport athletes. So... I think it's important for people to be realistic and, uh, you know, have people that keep you grounded when you're a teenager and things like that. So I'll, throughout your minor hockey career, um, was there ever, you know, obviously, you, as you said, you weren't really thinking about playing in the NHL, but did you have even hopes of like, you know, major junior or, you know, wanting to go to college to play hockey? Was that, was that part of the plan at all? I think that kind of like when I was 17 turning 18, that's when I was starting to get those offers for, for field hockey. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of the time where I kind of made that tough decision. It it wasn't, it wasn't a comfortable decision. And, you know, one where I was still very hesitant to try a new sport. Uh, Obviously I still favored hockey, but I kind of was coming to the realization that this could you know, materialize into, into something big, you know, playing for a team nationally is yeah. nothing to, to scoff at. And, you know, I, I wanted that opportunity. So I kind of made that decision there and then. Um, obviously, it would have been great to try uh, playing major junior and, and maybe higher up there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it played out the way it played out and chose that sport. And 
eventually fell out of love with it, but eventually landed the, the job I wanted, I guess, all along. So yeah, it's, it, it um, seems kind of a have, weird route to get here, but I'm happy I am. <laughs> it seems to have worked out well. So after high school, you went to Ryerson. Um, did you have a, a long-term plan when you headed to university? And what program were you in, uh, were you taking? Yeah, I, I didn't have a long-term plan, and I was in arts and contemporary studies, which is essentially the course people take when they have no idea right. what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I was there trying to figure myself out, and I, I think after two years, I I kind of had like a, almost a sit-down talk with myself and was like, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm I don't care about the courses I'm taking. I don't want to get a degree in something I don't care about. You know, I gotta, I gotta figure myself out, and that's when I gave myself time away from school. So I dropped out of Ryerson after two years. I was doing, doing well in school. I just, you know, I didn't care about it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dropped out, and uh, for that year, I, I played indoor hockey for Canada. I had time to fill my life with, you know, things I was passionate about, and just some time and space to figure out and ask myself what I want to do for the rest of my life or what kind of uh, path do I want to pursue. And it wasn't an overnight thing. There was no sudden realization, but I was being honest with myself and, and practical and trying something new. And after many years, it kind of, you know, this whole social media stuff ended up taking off randomly, but none of it was planned. It was just, I, I always tell people, it's like the, the one thing I think I did well was I was honest with myself. Yes. And if I didn't like something, I didn't do it. Uh, and if I did like it, I did it to the best of my ability. Yeah, Pavel, that's what I was going to say. That's so important. I'm glad you said that. Um, it's really important for people to hear that because w- there's a lot of pressure on people when they're 18 to 20 years old to go to university. And it's not for everybody. And I mean, I'm a teacher. I've, I've got three university degrees. I, I've been there. I know what it's like. I see people struggle. Um, I watch people that go to school for the wrong reasons, um, and it's it's frankly a waste of time. And and people like you know sometimes oh you should just go because you're gonna you're gonna grow as a person, you're gonna get older, you're gonna learn skills while you're in university. But you know what I say to that? It's not for everybody. And I'm so glad that you were honest about that, and you can make that decision. There's nothing wrong with not going to university. There's nothing wrong with dropping out of university. In fact, I think it's admirable that you took the, you had the balls to, to just follow your dreams, you know, start doing something that you really enjoyed instead of something that you felt like you had to do. So at this point, you know, you've got this incredible talent and skill when it comes to handling a puck. It's, and you've got a work ethic that, that can lead you to, to do something professionally. Obviously you've already done it. You've played sports at the highest level. Were there people in your life, uh, parents, um, friends that were, really pushing you to, to show your talents and to pursue something that you were passionate about? Or did you, like you said, have to come up with that on your own? I think uh, I just kind of came up with it on my own. Um, I mean, I'll, I credit my, my parents for, you know, being uh, supportive of my decision to, you know, drop out and, yeah. and take time for myself. And, you know, that, that's a big thing, you know, because I know a lot of parents can be the opposite. And totally. a lot of it comes from love, right? It's like mm-hmm. you want them to do well, but, you know, you, you do have to sometimes give people the time and space and, and let them make mistakes maybe and, and, and see things through. And that's one thing I think my parents did well. Uh, but I think for myself, I've always outsourced motivation, um, 
my on, in my own way, and whether that's searching it up online, people stories, success stories from people in multiple different fields, trying to find similarities between them, trying to draw from their experiences. I, I I've always found it easy to get motivated by searching in the right areas. So, you know, hearing speeches from people who have been through stuff, a lot of times people who have been through some hard stuff and came out the other side inspires me a lot. Yeah. And then little stories like from guys like Martin St. Louis, you know, smaller mm-hmm. guy in a, in a big guy game, uh, making it and not just making it being an all-star player right. in a sport that at that time was like a big man sport only. Like mm-hmm. those things really pump me up because it, uh, it, it, I, I've always believed that it's completely useless to allow other people to determine what you're capable of. Uh, and a lot of people do that, right? They, mm-hmm. they let others define what their potential is and it makes no sense because the only person who's able to uh, have an influence on your potential is you. That's the effort you put in, the focus level that you have, uh, and how far you're willing to push outside of the comfort zone. So anyone who's done that and, and came out the other side has, has really inspired me uh, to do the same, for sure. Yeah, great advice as well, Pavel. Um, is there somebody that you follow regularly? Like every day you wake up, you just got to see what that person's doing or somebody like... I don't know, David Goggins or The Rock or somebody who comes on, gives a motivational speech on a daily basis. Is there anyone like that that you follow? <laughs> uh, there's one guy, Tony Robbins. Yep. Uh, you've probably heard of him. Yeah. He's been pretty good. He's like a motivational speaker. Yes, and, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, and he, he really like, I like his approach to it in, in that he, uh, he's able to kind of approach things from maybe uh, less than a generalized approach. Like a lot of people try and give generalized advice and stuff like that. Whereas he's able to really, you know, pick apart, like, you know, when people are going through things, you have to individually look within yourself and, you know, find why it is we're reacting this way. And, you know, a lot of times when we're irritable with someone, it it has nothing to do with them and it's to do with us. And we're not satisfied with some area in our life. And, he tells the harsh truths and I really respect anyone who's willing to, you know, make someone uh, look themselves in the mirror and ask those tough questions. And I think that's something he's done really well and it certainly helped me out. Right. Um, so where did you get the confidence to, to put out that first online video? And, and I mean, I, I ask you that with, you know, <clears throat> in all seriousness, because it, it's not easy to do something like that and put yourself out there. So, um, what gave you the motivation to do, to make that very first video? Yeah, it's funny. Like the, in terms of confidence, nothing. Cause we, we didn't plan on making it anything. It was, it was kind of just shot for fun. Mm-hmm. We put it up on YouTube just to put it up somewhere to save. Um, <laughs> the fact that people right. watched the first video was, was great, but it, it was, you know, we would have been totally contented if it had five views cause it wasn't for the purpose of, gaining interest and, you know, having uh, many thousands of people right. watching the clips. So I, I think at the start, it was one of those beautiful things because it was unplanned. There was no expectations. There was no pressure. It was just us doing what we loved and, and having fun with it. And, you know, slowly it uh, became something. And, uh, you know, over time had to kind of you know, like you said, like when you put yourself out there, you have to be confident in yourself yeah. and 
and kind of have a tough chin because you're going to get like it doesn't really matter who you are you're going to get ripped apart exactly. by people online it's a, a sad truth um you know, first it bugs me a lot like i think anyone uh it would when you put yourself out there first it uh it stings when someone says you you suck or you're <laughs> trying too hard or yeah. whatever it is um but then you just you, you just uh have to take it for what it is like uh, a lot of these comments are coming from people who don't know you. Uh, they don't know like what you're about. I think if they met me in person, they'd never say these things, you know? So it's like, you just take it for what it is. And a lot of time you realize, uh, you know, people who have a lot of negative stuff to say, have a lot of negative stuff going on in their own lives and people who are successful, uh, don't waste their time trying to bring others down because they know it doesn't make them better. So 100%. when I hear someone, whether it's chirping me, or chirping a kid, um, I always tell kids, like, listen, like, this comment actually says more about them than it does you. Like, it's them telling you that they're insecure or they're, there's some area in their life that they're not fulfilled in, yeah. or else they wouldn't be wasting their time trying to bring you down. 100%. So I'm assuming you're not one of those guys who gets caught up in reading all their YouTube comments. Do you find yourself, um, do you find yourself wanting to, if you're, like, I know a lot of people do it for reasons like, you know, sometimes you just want a little dopamine boost. Sometimes you want to know that someone out there <laughs> cares about you or whatever it is. But do you ever get those feelings and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think uh, for me at the start, it was like you're obsessed with reading comments right. and, and things. It's exciting. Like you said, that rush. Yeah. But yeah, over time, there's like so many comments and, and things like that. You obviously can't spend too much time. And, and over time, you just don't, you realize you don't need that stuff like that whether it makes you feel good or bad you know it doesn't change anything really like uh it's great to have people supporting you and things like that but the important stuff is you're enjoying putting out the content and you're challenged and you know you're improving and and all that stuff but uh i think the the, the one reason i I'll, I'll go into comments and and kind of talk a bit more is just because there's so much, there's so many uneducated comments in there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when we post a kid doing a, a drill, you'll have people say like, oh, if he does that move, he'll get killed. And then I'll be like, well, here's five NHL examples using this exact same move the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm, I'm trying to decrease the spread of misinformation and get people to look at the game uh, through a different lens, not this like generalized, like, oh, like I saw a guy get hit once with this move, therefore this move gets you hit. Uh, whereas the problem with that is they ignore all the times it works, right? So it's like getting people to think situationally, when do you use the move versus when you don't? How do we stay safe and effective in our game? And that's one of the reasons I'll, I'll dive into those comment sections more is to yeah. just get people to, you know, if they're making comments that are inaccurate i'm going to call them out on it if mm -hmm. they make comments that are insightful I'll, I'll be like great point like uh i love engaging in the comments with uh with people there for sure right and is there um is there a uh, a challenge like trying to change the old school mentality that people have about about these this this style of hockey like kind of you know the the trickster uh learning these uh kind of flashy moves and and you know there's a it's obviously part of the game that's growing quickly. What are your thoughts on that? And, and is that part of your challenge is letting people know that, you know, like those parents, like you said, that are saying, you know, my kid's going to get crushed if he does that. Can you, is that one of your biggest challenges to try and change that mentality? 
Yeah, I would say for sure. And I think over the past five years, it's it's obviously diminished quite a bit. And it's it's kind of funny because on my social media feeds, they've almost become a laughing stock uh, of it because those comments, like people will use them satirically and yeah. like just joking, like sarcastically, like, oh, if he tried that, like they'll look at an NHL move and a guy uses it, and then the guy will say, like, if he tried that in my beer league, I'd kill him, like, as a joke. <laughs> uh, because there's, like, so much of that. It just yeah. became so popular, and I, I, I was always calling people out on it. I'm like, guys, like, you can't say that. It's inaccurate. These moves are being used uh, effectively here. So whether you like it or not, these moves are here to stay. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, the mm-hmm. sport's going to evolve, mm-hmm. evolve with it or get left behind. So, yep. you know, these people who are kind of dinosaurs stuck in the past and call any, any move with any amount of flair a showboat move, it's like, sorry, the game changed and, and you yeah. didn't. Like, right. you know, the fact that you can't do a move doesn't mean that it's not useful. Right. So, and that's what it comes it's, down uh, to. Not too, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. It's like it's it's just crazy sometimes that yeah. people get so annoyed by it. But uh, you know, it's it's great to see the new young kids come in the NHL, and you know they're they're using creative moves, but they're using them tactically, right? They're yeah. using them like you know the between the legs shot or a backhand toe drag or a pull between the legs deke. It's like they're not just using them to show off. It's like they're using them for a purpose yeah. to get a result. And Absolutely. they're, uh, you know, they're changing the game and it's a, an exciting product to watch. Definitely. So you're, you're getting, you're making all these videos and you're, you're building up a, uh, an online following. How did you get your first coaching opportunity? And was it specifically as a, as a specialist or skills coach? Yeah. Yeah. So I started working at the University of British Columbia while I was playing field hockey for Canada, just as a side job. And in between there, we're making videos and stuff like that. And from, I guess, the videos, people knew my name and knew I had some stick handling stuff I work on. So one one dad had reached out to me through actually Instagram and started working uh, with his kid at eight years old and just doing some private lessons. And, you know, slowly that kind of snowballed and people started hiring me individually, bringing me out to uh, either team skate, small group or private lessons or whatever it is. And kind of just slowly built up my portfolio there. And then, you know, years went on, started doing traveling camps and working with pro guys and stuff like that. But it started just as, you know, a few people hiring me and you just, you know, like any job, it's like word of mouth is your best uh, form of advertisement. Make sure you do a good job. Make sure you're personable and approachable and make sure that you know you're making those kids better in the time that you have absolutely and have you ever taken any courses or clinics or coaching clinics things like that no it's like i've I've watched a a bunch of them like the Mm -hmm. hockey canada one uh i probably should have taken just as a just a habit but it, it became one of those things like i i look at all these courses and like there's value in them. Yeah. A lot of them are like the rudimentary basics. You of had it all and, that knowledge already. Uh, yeah. 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 I think a lot of people do like, it's like, if you're new to the, the game and stuff, it's important to do that. Yeah. And, uh, I think, uh, I, I just on a personal note, I, I took a year before I actually did like a lot of training with people. I took a year kind of learning how to teach because a lot of people don't realize it. It's like being able to do the skill whether you're in the NHL or whether you're not, whether you can do a skill uh, or if you can do a skill, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good teacher or a good coach. It's mm. a completely different thing. 100%, so yeah. um, like you, 
you, you would understand it, right? Yeah, it's totally. like you have to learn to be able to relay this information in a way that is comprehensible yeah. and be able to lay out a progression plan that allows them to gain the skill in the fastest way possible so that they absorb all the information. And that's a struggle. Like I, I struggled for a full year on that. Like it wasn't easy, like learning how to, how to reach kids and, and adults and learning how to make a progression plan properly, not rushing it. Like a lot of people skip steps and they'll, they pay for it later. It's like you have to be able to identify where the weak areas are what foundation you're building off of and then go from there and be patient and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So I, I was, I was really patient on that. I'm really glad that I, I was because now when I'm, I'm doing lessons and things like that, uh, I've, I've actually learned how to, I guess, reach, reach kids and any, any players who hire me a lot better than I otherwise would have. Well, it's incredible you but you were able to teach yourself those skills. I, I mean, most of us have to go to university to learn how to teach. Yeah, well, the crazy thing, too, is like, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's true. Like learning how to teach and stuff like that. I'm still learning for sure. Yeah. It's, it, it's always a, 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 a difficult thing. But with my unique skill set, uh, I mean, just stick handling in general, it was understudied. It was undertaught. You know, the game only developed like crazy stick handling in the past like eight years or so. It was, it was pretty new. And, you know, we had like thousands of power skating coaches, which is great because skating is by far the most important part of the game. You know, we had like a lot of shooting coaches as well, but very few went into stick handling. And those who did, there was just, for me, there were so, so many flaws in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the way people taught it, the way that, you know, they would move their hands around the, the shaft without any benefit to the stick handler, like putting themselves in positions where they can't do multiple things at once. Like there's so much of the stick handling thing that I found uh, people were making mistakes in. And I was always basing this off the best players in the world, like Pavel Datsuk, I was obsessed with and seeing why was a player like him constantly being able to fake defenders out well and, and be able to come out of a move ready to make another move. Like, what was he doing? So I'd, I'd look at that guy, I'd break it down, and then I'd look at another player because no two players are the same, and I'd try to find similarities. And I found a ton of similarities in the, the players with the best puck control in terms of what they were doing with their hands, their bodies, where they're looking, the type of edge work they're using, and, and just slowly kind of built up my whole uh, curriculum if you want to call it that yeah. based on me learning through these uh very effective nhl players totally and uh, you just kind of mentioned something that made me think like stick handling is not just it's not just hands it's not just your wrists it's a full it's it's your whole body especially in hockey when you're you know when you're moving at the same time so and you, you mentioned datsuk because he's one of the smoothest uh, of all times and you know, it's so fun to watch what he's able to do. He manipulates his body in ways uh, that the defender can't can't get the puck. So he was one of the ones who was able to do that. And and uh, I heard you mention him in a few other podcasts. I know he's one of your faves. Uh, so I'd like uh, I'd like to get back to your travels a little bit. So you're coaching, you're building a huge influence online. You're doing these specialist clinics now. And where did your where did your travels begin, and how did you end up over here in Southeast Asia? Yeah, so the the travels started. Uh, I mean, living in in Vancouver, 
started getting contract opportunities to go to different cities, mostly in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, so it was going all around there. Uh, eventually got some opportunities to go overseas, like went to Sweden, uh, out in Luleå and Piteå, which is northern Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then in terms of the Southeast Asia thing, just I met uh, a guy at uh, the, the world's biggest hockey expo. I usually go every year in Minnesota and got this guy, uh, Keith Bong's card, who uh, runs a company called Powerplate SE, and he does all this amazing work uh, across uh, Asia. Very well connected, very good guy. Uh, and he, he's really passionate about doing a good job and putting on a good showing for these kids. Like, he's one of those guys that genuinely cares. Um, and it was cool because he actually lived in Vancouver for a while, too. So uh, we bonded over that a little bit. But um, working with him has been fantastic. He's... Uh, you know, showed me around. He's got me to all these different markets, places like uh, Bangkok and uh, Manila, a uh, couple different cities in China, like Shenzhen and um, a couple other places. Like, he's he's been able to get the contacts for me, put me in touch with them. He does all the work uh, logistically. So all I have to worry about is showing up, doing the best job possible. And, yeah. and we have a lot of fun. It's It's just great traveling with him as well. Yeah, I love Keith, and I want to thank him for introducing me to you. Um, Keith, like you said, very influential guy, but also he's a really, really nice guy and who will do anything for you. He's been very helpful for me with the podcast. He's, he was a guest on my show early on. He told the story about the development of hockey here uh, and across Asia. He used to play. He used to ref. He used to be a big part of it, you know, uh, hands-on. Now he's, he's kind of planning all these events and making things happen. And he's got all the contacts, like you said, around Asia. And the hockey world's a small world when uh, when you're overseas and you start making a few connections. And it's a small place. And the hockey world, as you know, are always there for each other. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So better. What, was your, what were your impressions of hockey here? So where was your – you did clinics. Did you go to Bangkok or was it um, only in, uh, in China, in Shenzhen? No, yeah, I went to uh, went to Bangkok yeah, as well. So. Did uh, stuff there, so that one it was funny. It was uh, he asked me. We, I think we did that trip. We did two trips together. Uh, that trip we had done China, Hong Kong, and uh, and Bangkok. Okay. Uh, and he told me at the end of that one, he's like, "The Land of Smiles tournament yeah. is on. After, do you want to stay and play some hockey?" And I'm like, obviously, like, of course, yeah. like, let's go. Like, so you got uh, to get play. to see the city a bit more, get to play some hockey. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, e- easy, easy offer to say yes to. So we played in that tournament. We ended up winning it. It was, it was just a lot of fun getting to yeah. know the guys, seeing the different ice, and you know the the hockey over there. It's 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 a lot further along than I would have thought. I think most people from North America wouldn't even think there's hockey at all in Bangkok yeah. or or some other places in Asia but uh you know I was I was pleasantly surprised by the skill level and just the commitment level of some of these players and and just seeing them enjoy it you know like yeah. a lot of times in Asia you'll see the ice split split into three you know the ice over there is so expensive yeah. um you know the upkeep cost for a rink you can only imagine right with the how hot it is the humidity all that so you know and everyone's doing their part and and just seeing the kids enjoy it out there 
for me, it's great because, you know, you live in North America, it's just a rite of passage. You play hockey, there's rinks everywhere. Yeah. Cool. But you go to a place like Asia, it hits different. It's like, wow, like this sport really has grown to far away markets. And then you see people from, you know, areas of the world you wouldn't even think know what hockey is, smiling on the ice, working on their skills. Yeah. So it, it was cool for me to go there and, and do that because for me, it's like I always pride myself on being able to have some kind of impact on players' development and help grow the sport because the sport's given me so much just in yeah. terms of uh, how much it's enhanced my life and just uh, how fun it is and, and all that, all the people I've met and trips I've had. So being able to go to a place like that and, and have the opportunity to help hockey be better in these certain areas across Asia uh, was a big, uh, big deal for me. I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, we got people, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Americans, uh, a lot of Europeans over here in Asia right now doing God's work and just, you know, teaching the sport, putting in the time. It started like, you know, ball hockey in parking lots and things like that. Guys having a beer on a Friday night, getting a couple sticks and playing in a tennis court. And now there's, you know, uh, four shopping malls with ice hockey rinks in them. And we've got two new arenas being built That's in Hong awesome. Kong. So it's crazy. Like, yeah. So I, I love hearing these stories and being, being, uh, being over here in Asia and getting to share them with people is really exciting for me because I love hearing about hockey in Bangkok from Scott Murray or Mark Simon telling me about what's going on in Beijing and, and how they're developing hockey there. It's really fascinating as, a, as someone who grew up around the sport and not even thinking about it, you know, you kind of just, it's ingrained in you. You know what's, what's going on in the hockey world when you grow up in a hockey family. It's really cool to watch the sport grow over here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's incredible stuff. Yeah. So uh, before I got some hockey specific questions for you, but bef just before we get to that, can you walk me through a day in your life right now? Like what's going on, what you're doing uh, day to day? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, day to day right now, obviously a bit weird with everything going on, but um, there's a lot of video editing stuff that I'm doing with companies. So uh, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, um, if companies want me to do advertising, whether that's testing their products out, whether that's doing uh, just a direct ad for a company like EA Sports or something on my page, whatever it is, uh, working hard at that, um, making sure to stay active, which is tough. Um, luckily, our outdoor rinks are open. Just We're not allowed to play hockey, so going out and skating just to keep my cardio up and just to stay sane. Um, <laughs> and then uh, usually at nighttime, uh, doing uh, some lessons across Toronto uh, has been fantastic. Just going to people's backyard rinks uh, and being able to do lessons with like four kids on the ice because that's the max we're allowed right now okay. um, has been awesome. You know, even though all the rinks are shut down, being able to go to people's houses and, and stay working, stay sharp as a coach and, and help help people play so uh it's good I've, I've been in toronto for only two months after moving back from uh from vancouver and it's been uh the greatest welcome back just having all these opportunities that's incredible um so you're constantly being bombarded by companies to do videos and uh check uh, test products and stuff like that um did you ever think that was going to happen and you mentioned ea sports what do you have going on with those guys yeah, I mean, your first question, definitely yeah. not. Like, I never saw any of this really becoming anything. So 
every time it evolves into something else and you get more opportunities, uh, it's shock. It's overwhelming sometimes yeah. and, and, uh, and all that, but it's, it's, it's great. Um, it's one of those things where I always have to take a step back and kind of look at where I am compared to how I started and just like be amazed by it all. Um, with a company like EA, so I do the, the motion capture for their video games, which is really cool. Yeah. They put all the uh, the dots on me, the suit, and they capture me doing a lot of these stick handling moves that yeah. you'll find in the video game. Uh, so that's a really, really fun gig. I love doing that. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they'll hire me to do some, like, they just had an NHL 94 Rewind uh, campaign there, so I was doing some advertising for them there. But, uh, yeah, working with companies like that, uh, companies like Apple, like there's so many amazing opportunities and, and hockey is just such a cool sport to film. Yeah. So a lot of these companies, especially in Canada, they realize like, you know, if you want to reach people, use hockey to reach people. So yeah, totally. it's been, uh, it's been good to work with all these companies. Yeah. Is there going to be a time where we can, uh, choose Pavel Barber as a, as a player on NHL 2022, maybe? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I've, uh, I, I've, I've, I've asked them to do that before, but it's, uh, I'll have to have to get all my followers to, to beg them to do that for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it shouldn't be too hard. Um, all right. So I'm going to get to some <laughs> hockey specific questions. Some of these are from me. Some of these are from, um, some of my listeners and friends who had some questions for you. So, um, I won't keep you too long. So let's sure. try and get through these. So first of all, People often have a lack of ice time, especially over here in Asia, as you know. Opportunity to train in a facility almost next to none. What are a few things that, uh, simple things that people can do at home to improve their puck handling skills and also, you know, wrist and forearm strength? Yeah, I would say, you know, whether it's a golf ball, a tennis ball, a green biscuit, something at home, you don't need a lot of space. Uh, somewhere where you can work on uh, different types of stick handling moves, even just at a standstill. Um, I've always found that using your phone and using slow motion to film yourself has been a, an exceptional tool to find out where you're going wrong. Because a lot of time you'll film yourself, stuff happens fast, maybe we look over it, but slow motion allows you to capture things uh, that you can't in real time. So yeah. setting up the phone, videotaping yourself, uh, trying all these new stick handling moves, maybe seeing a stick handling move, whether it's on my feed from an NHL player or you just saw your favorite NHL player do it, try and look at it and break it down yourself. You know, that's those are the way they're, you're going to learn more is by breaking stuff down yourself and uh, working on that. And, uh, I mean, the forearm strength comes the more you stick handle. Like, I, I consider myself not very strong, but in terms of stick handling, like, I can stick handle for a very long time just because I, I do it a lot. I make a lot of time for it. Right. Yeah. A lot of people uh, tr try to overdo it. And with the, with the equipment that you ha we have now available and like the synthetic ice and all the little tools that we can buy online and, and things like that, you can, there's so much you can do at home. You don't, you don't need as much space maybe as, as you, as you think. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Like yeah. the, the game changed with all these new, tools like and i like to tell people like a lot of these training aids and stuff you know you can either build your own or or just you know you don't right. need the training aid itself to learn the skill it helps to you know create a bunch of different drills from but if you have a good surface and you have a good puck to use or a ball to use yeah. that is 
the the essential tools that you need. So you don't need to spend a whole lot uh, to do a whole lot. Right. Yeah. When we were kids, we used like a shiny tabletop, <laughs> something with a with a fit, <laughs> lacquer finish on it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of people were asking me about like. Um, field drills, uh, things like, you know, I think of the mighty ducks going with their eggs on the ice and trying to learn to, you know, stick handle with an egg. Um, is there anything you do to, to, to kind of get that feel? Is there any field drills? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So what I do with my younger players, and it's funny because people think it's the opposite, but I'll get a younger player to use a heavy puck. Yeah. Um, so the heavy puck I, I do not for strength. Uh, I do it for feel because a heavier object means you have more room for error because it doesn't move as much. Okay. Um, you know, if you think of like a, a ping pong ball, the lightest thing ever, because it's so light, there's more room for error. It's going to bounce off your stick and it's going to be hard to feel it. Correct. So the, the heavy pucks are actually a terrific tool for puck feel, especially at the beginner phases, to be able to feel it more on the blade with more room for error. And then you can move down to like a regular puck, uh, things like that. And then there's another drill where you separate your blade into three different quadrants. So you got the heel, the middle of the blade, and the toe. You can tape them different colors or just, you know, just have three strips of tape or sorry, two strips of tape yeah. uh, separating into three quadrants. And uh, all you're doing is you're trying to keep it at the heel and then try to keep it at the middle and then try to keep it at the toe just to consistently get it to those areas. And you're doing it looking down first. That's another thing. Like people are so afraid to look down at the start. You kind of have to, if you don't have good puck control, look down, make sure you're rotating properly, make sure it's at the right part of the blade. And then you slowly start to look up. Maybe it's one stick length up first then two, then three. It's not like black and white. You don't just start looking down and then look up all of a sudden. Right. It doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. It'd be fun to shortcut progress like that, but you just go slowly and just make sure you're pushing your comfort zone because your comfort right. zone is going to be different from somebody else's. That's a good tip. I never thought of that. How about You mean like, um, say, I'm, I'm staring at the ground stick handling, and then maybe you put something in front of you out a little farther just so your eyes come up a little bit and you start using peripheral vision a little bit? Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so you, you still have good vision of the yeah. ball or puck, mm -hmm. and then uh, you're using a little bit of peripherals, and then you get good there, you get comfortable there, and then you, you're using a little bit more peripheral right. uh, and, and gaining more sight in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Great. All right, next one. YouTubers are boxing against celebrities now. Any thoughts on getting retired players to come <laughs> out and so you can dangle them and break some ankles? <laughs> <laughs> thought you were going to say to box. I'd happily get I was originally going to ask if you were I was originally going to ask if you were going <laughs> to if you'd box somebody, but I think you'd be better at breaking ankles. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be better at the stick handling, but uh yeah, I, I love that, the whole YouTube boxing thing. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that would be a cool one, go one-on-one -on -one with someone. And hockey's a weird sport where one-on-ones are – it's different than, like, soccer and basketball. Those are easy one-on-one -on -one sports yeah. to kind of go at each other. Uh, hockey's a bit tough to build, like, a one-on-one -on -one scenario, but I think that'd be cool. And, uh, you know, if I was going to get in the get in the ring, I wouldn't like my odds, but I would, <laughs> uh, you know – if the paycheck was right, if I'm getting paid McGregor money, then, then put me in there. I'll, yeah. I'll go to sleep and collect my paycheck tomorrow morning. Totally, if there's <laughs> enough zeros. Um, 
Next, uh, a, lot of people, a lot of people think, well, obviously you mentioned it as well, the evolution of hockey is obviously the game changes a lot. Do you think uh, the NHL is getting trickier every year? You're seeing more of this kind of trick plays and high skill plays more than ever? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think every year a new, maybe not a, a new move every single year, but a new way to do a move. Uh, or maybe like building like one move on another move, and then as we saw with like the Michigan move, right? That yeah. one, not a new move, but new to the NHL in terms of how many players are trying it. Mm-hmm. The thing, the thing that happens as ga- the game evolves, as time and space shrinks, as defenders get better, uh, as you know more plays get more and more predictable, you have to think of more creative solutions, and the players who stay ahead of that are the ones who have the best success. So, you know, I think we're going to continue to see this trend of, you know, new, new moves coming into our game and, and players like, uh, you know, Patterson and stuff like that, like the guy who goes backhand toe between his legs, he can do that like, you know, 99 times out of a hundred. Right. He's very consistent and confident mm-hmm. in that skill. And that's what I tell people is, don't label the move showboat or, or, or highlight reel, whatever. That, that means absolutely nothing. What matters is, does the move have a, have a practical use, and can you do it consistently? Right. So if you're a player who is only able to do the move one time out of ten, I wouldn't do that in a game just yet. I would keep practicing at it, keep working at it, until you build the consistency and then try and implement it to your game more and more, the more consistent you get. So I think that's a, a key thing for players to realize is a showboat move to, you know, one player, you know, isn't uh, the same to another, like a player who's, you know, well-practiced in it. That's like an average move versus another player that might be reaching a little bit too far and you got to work on it a bit more. Yeah, that's a good example, the Michigan move, because that one has evolved itself. Uh, as we seen, we saw the other day with, with Sid trying to, uh, to do the backhand lacrosse. That was insane. Yeah. I wow. wish he would have pulled and it off. An older player too, like I know. Yeah, I felt I like. Uh, if he did, I, I'm sure will. I felt like you know he was kind of buying his time, like uh, watching all these young guys do it and do it in games and picking it up on the forehand, and he was kind of just waiting in the wings, and he's like, ah, you know, like I'll show you guys, but he didn't quite pull it off. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I remember he he pulled off the forehand version of it and playing for Ramuski, so yeah. You know, he's definitely a player who's 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 done it before. And then I think I was laughing with my buddy the other day. I, I, I was like, I feel like he's just trying to him and Kane are constantly trying to prove who has the better backhand. Yeah. They're, they're always scoring these ridiculous backhand goals. So I think Crosby is like, Screw this guy, I'm gonna try a backhand lacrosse move and, and end this thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Speaking of backhands, Tyler Tofoley looked like looked like Datsuk yesterday with his uh dangle and backhand oh top my corner <laughs> my god that was nasty nasty right that was nasty. like yeah like that you know pulls it back and then I, I think the one key that's kind of underrated about that move is he 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 tucked the puck into his feet so tight and then he got it to the backhand without having to reset the puck Right, and and that's a skill even a lot of pro players like struggle with is when they pull it to the backhand they need to like take a forehand stick handle to reset it to, to reset the backhand. It, yeah, if he had done that, 
that shot doesn't get off. Totally. And, and that was just brilliant. And that's something all players got to work on is yeah. putting the puck well off your body so that you can shoot without wasting time. Yeah, I heard you talk about the uh, the backhand. And, and as a kid, uh, my dad was a big advocate of the backhand. I think I scored a lot of goals on the backhand because of my dad. Um, just it's trickier for goalies. And you can ask any goalie in the world and they'll all agree. There's no secret. Yeah, no, exactly. And, it, and it's one of those things too where like coaches – I feel like a lot of them kind of don't practice it enough because you have to be patient with it. Yeah. It doesn't look good at the start, especially at younger ages. Players are spinning out of control. They can't even get it off the ice, and it looks bad. And then that's just – there's no cure for that at the start. It's going to look pretty horrendous at the start, um, to be blunt. But right. it's important to do it, not just for the shot purpose, but it just opens up more ice for you. So you see players like Barzell – doing crossovers, keeping the puck protected backhand. Once a player goes and tries to reach in and overcommit, he does a forehand punch turn. So it, it allows you to protect the puck, stay in a shot pass yeah. threat position, and you can do a cutback move or just full-on turn your back and switch to the forehand. Mm-hmm. It just opens up so many more avenues to be you know, offensively uh, gifted in our game. Uh, and then obviously the shot as well on top of that. So it's, I think for every player... It's going to be your your weakest point, but you got to work on it. Yeah, totally. Um, I listened to your podcast on uh, the Hockey Players Club. That was a great podcast, by the way. Um, it was very interesting oh, listen, listening to you guys geek out about gear and especially uh, sticks and tape and things like that. Like when I was a kid, I was just I was off the off the shelf kind of guy. I liked the coffee curve, and um, other than that, you know, we used to curve our own sticks on the stove, like. At that time, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. Like I wanted the Titan, I wanted Cros- or, uh, sorry Gretzky's Titan stick, and of course when he switched to the Easton, I switched to the Easton. But I didn't really know all these ins and outs, and some of the stuff you guys were talking about was just like the lie and the the the, the torque and the mid flex and all these all these specifics about sticks was really interesting. So I just want you to try and break it down like. How how deep does your average hockey player have to go when it comes to research and what kind of stick they're going to use and what advice do you give to the to that type of person who's just heading out to buy a new hockey stick? Yeah, I think I mean to put it generally at the start, if you're unsure of anything, uh, like what you should use in terms of height, try to go around the nose or chin. Probably chin would be better, yeah. just to ensure that you're staying low in your stance, all that stuff. In terms of lie, so the lie value just determines if there's more blade closer to the feet or if there's more blade away from the feet. Mm-hmm. So if you want, if you're a player like Patrick Kane who uses a lie seven, which is a higher lie, you spend more time with the puck close to your feet, in tight to the body. So with a higher lie, he's able to keep more blade on the ice close okay. to his feet. Mm-hmm. He's going to have less blade on the ice further away from his feet. So you have to know the type of player you are. A lie of six is what I use. It's a great middle ground to have a good amount of blade and tight to the feet, but still enough far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also going to, you know, it's going to determine be determined by how high your top hand is too. So you'll see like Kane's top hand, he usually has it a little bit higher in his stance and, and that allows him to uh, keep the heel at the right point uh, on the ice there. And then in terms of like, you know, your mid kick and your, your low kick, that's just, you know, in terms of shooting, um, you know, those low kicks, they get off those quick release shots. 
uh, quite a bit quicker. And then your mid-kick, you'd be more of a one-timer guy uh, or a player that takes a bit more time to shoot or maybe relies a bit more on power and stuff like that. So um, there's a little, like, brief intro to it. And then, like, in terms of curbs, the more predominant ones are the P92 and the, the, the P28, which are the big toe curves, which most kids are using. Um, the more toe curve you have, uh, the less backhand you're going to have access to. So that's the give and take. You're gonna, uh, it's going to be easier to use the toe on other moves because you don't have to lift your heel as high on the forehand ones. But on your backhand, you're going to be limited to a smaller portion of the blade than you would at a straighter curve. And that's why we see players like Crosby, uh, Kane, Datsuk with straight curves. Um, and they have great backhand shots because they can shoot with the puck uh, almost all the way up the blade because of how straight it is. Right. So I guess you got to, the, the, the key that you said there was to determine what kind of player you are and, and how best you can utilize your, you know, what, what equipment's going to help you best utilize your skills. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. And it's, especially at the start, you're just figuring yourself out. So mm-hmm. you can go pretty generic. And then as you, as you continue to improve, don't be afraid of, trying new things maybe if you've got a buddy who has a different curve i have to try it out for uh, a week or so you know it's like trying new things definitely doesn't hurt and, and you see it all the time in the nhl like some players don't change at all like crosby is like he doesn't want to change any equipment including his weird jock from high school <laughs> oh i know um whereas other yeah <laughs> whereas other players uh change changes up quite a bit yeah so you know, maybe if you if you realize like, oh, my game has changed to this style of play, then maybe that changes your curve or the height of your stick or the the live value on your stick. Just important to know what benefits uh, each of them provide. That way, you're making an educated decision. Whereas you don't want to just change something randomly with no purpose behind it. Right. What do you say to the old adage of two hands on your stick? I mean, we growing up, that was what we heard a lot uh, from our coaches and and uh, and peers. But what what do you think about that? And what are your thoughts on the importance of being able to play with one hand on your stick? A guy like uh, like Nathan McKinnon. Um, sometimes you watch him go down the ice. He might stick handle three hundred times before he gets from one end to the other. Other times where you just want to tell that guy to push the he- push the puck ahead with one stick or with one hand on his stick, or what do you think of a guy like him who's so fast? It's like, if he he could even be faster, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's situational. So it's like, for a guy like him, obviously very good with the, the puck skills. And, and, and it depends whether you have passes uh, open, or whether you just have open ice and you need to gain speed. So if you have open ice, you just want to gain speed, then sure, release the one hand, pump both arms, that's going to be your fastest way of getting down the ice. Yeah. Um, but if you're in a situation where like you're going against the defender and you got maybe like a two on one approach or something like that, you got to have two hands on your stick then. So you can skate with the puck, but if the defender goes to you, it's off your stick right away. Mm -hmm. So you got to be able to read this, the situation and decide whether one hand on the stick is better for you, uh, versus two. Right. I agree. (laughs) My favorite trick goal of all time is still the Merrick Malik round 15 between the legs shootout <laughs> goal. And, and not, not because it was like the first guy to do it. I think it was it's situational, you know? 15th yeah. round, you're running at a guy's on the bench. And, of course, the best Sally of all time, 
in my <laughs> in my opinion. Do you have a favorite all time trick goal that was performed in the NHL? Ooh, favorite all time trick goal. I mean, I I would probably say the Sveshnikov one. Yeah. Simply because I got so much hate and back talk from uh, skills coaches and and a bunch of people online. Uh, when I was telling people like it was going to go in eventually because it, it, was, it was kind of the buildup of that whole mindset I was talking to you about earlier where it's like people just see the game as black and white. It's like, oh, the NHL is a flawless league. This move will get you hit. There's The NHL is too fast. There's not enough space for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it was I could not believe people had that mindset because if you were watching hockey – you could see countless situations in which defenders lose their checks or there's a broken play where a guy's left alone behind the net yeah. uh, and stuff like that. It, it happens all the time. Yeah. So I was like, I kept telling people like, you know, every, every time a player would attempt it, it was on my, my feed. It was on Hey Barber feed on Instagram. And yeah. I was like, almost scored during uh, using this move. And then you'd have people being like, it's never going to go in and stop posting these. So that when it went in, <laughs> it was like, a big joy for me, but also for everyone else who believed in it, you know, believed in the game evolving. And it's one of those moments where, you know, it's, it's, it's like, wow, our game has grown quite a bit to the point where this is now how some players score. Yeah. So I think I think it was good in that respect, and it, it shut a lot of people up. That's for sure. <laughs> and a, gr- a great example of that is a guy like Matthew Kachuk. He's he's scoring between the like goals like. At full speed, yeah, <laughs> and he's oh, using he's, it like you said to, as a, as an advantage. So, so he's not just doing it just to do it. He's using it to get the puck in a position where where the defender can't stop it, right? Yeah, like that that one against Nashville that yeah. he scored. That there was no other way to get it off with that much leverage, given exactly. the yeah. momentum. There was no other way, and if 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 he didn't practice the between the leg shot, then that reaction. Him just going, oh, I got to go between the legs. It wouldn't have even happened, and he would have, you know, put his hands like super tight to the body and not gotten any wood on it whatsoever. So it's like, you know, we 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 practice a lot of these moves not just to be able to do the move, but in in case like some kind of situation happens where you need to receive the puck in a weird way uh, because the, our game's full of random bounces. Like these players are able to react for these weird circumstances. Speaking of weird bounces, have you been able to try out the new pucks? No, I have not. They, uh, I've, I've heard like players talking about them feeling different, but yeah. I haven't tested. Okay, I thought maybe you, thought maybe you were able to try it to see if there was actually some truth to the fact that the pucks feel different. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Maybe I'll, I'll have to get someone to steal one for me. Do it. They Let sound expensive. Let me know when you get that chance. I know a couple sure. linesmen in the NHL. I might be able to get one to throw them in a, throw one in their pocket for you. There we go. We'll give them a case <laughs> of beer or something. That's right. Um, I, obviously, one of the biggest questions you're always asked is who who has the best hands in the game today? And and I hear you talk of Barzell and Kane and, and Kucherov. And there's so many. There's so many guys with incredible hands, Patterson. Um, but what I want to know is what sets these guys apart from everyone else? I think it's their awareness uh, around the ice. And, and like we were talking about earlier, it's like when you talk about good stick handling, you don't talk about a guy with just hands. If you just have hands, you will not be effective in the NHL. You've got to have uh, good edge work. You've got to be able to shift your weight. You've got to be able to do all these things. But the thing that separates 
those players that you just mentioned from other players is that they see the ice really, really well. Yeah. Uh, they're one step ahead of the game, and they know based on what circumstance they're in, what's the best move given that circumstance. So where is the defender vulnerable mm -hmm. if I'm a righty coming down the off wing where his feet are turned, pointing towards the boards or something like that? So they're looking at each uh, situation individually and trying to find the weak areas. And if there is no weak area, then they try and create a weak area by throwing in a, a fake uh, or something like that. Right. And that's that's truly what makes a great player, and that's Hockey IQ. It can be influenced and taught. Obviously, a lot of that relies on the individual itself, but a lot of people think you can't teach Hockey IQ. And to them, I say, like, you know, how can you not? You know, it's mm -hmm. like if I can teach a player to be better at chess, you know, to be able to read that board better and see where a player is vulnerable or whatever, you can teach a player to, to see the ice better as well. So to be able to see where they're weak, you know, to be able to read whether you're on a, uh, an odd man advantage or whether you're not, to be able to read whether the defender's a lefty uh, or a righty and, and where you should go based on those things. Like, you can tell players that and you can get them to kind of think uh, a little bit more, and that is raising their hockey IQ through that process. No question. And the deception, like you said, is it's not just stick handling. And the great one, people don't talk about Wayne Gretzky like, oh, man, that guy can stick handle in a phone booth or, you know, he can do all those things that Patrick Kane can do. And no, nobody talks about him in that sense. But maybe one of the greatest puck handlers of all time because he was able to protect the puck, keep his back to the boards. Like you said, his hockey IQ was so high. He was so far ahead of everybody else that even if he wasn't the most highly skilled stick handler, his deception and his puck handling skills were still above, above and beyond everyone else. Absolutely. And I think, like, you nailed it. Like, it's, you know, his hockey IQ meant he didn't have to rely on crazy moves a lot. No, you know, he, was, he didn't put he himself so in that position. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was re remarkable. Yeah. Um, so where does Al where is Alex Kovalev stand on your list of puck handlers? Because it's a name that a lot of people I don't hear say, but I, I'm fascinated watching that guy control a puck. Yeah, I mean, his hands were well before his time, uh, for sure. And, and it, it, if you watch him in practices and the drills he does, obviously in a game he's been able to implement those hands quite well uh, also. But just his, uh, I call it like accuracy, like stick handling accuracy, like his his ability to put the puck right to where he wants it, be in good control, and do that consistently was remarkable. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that you know other players kind of uh, separated them themselves from Kovalev uh, was their ability to kind of be a bit more mobile than he was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kovalev was uh, you know very good with his hands, very shifty. Whereas Datsuk was like just the next level version of that where his body language, his ability to sell by shifting the weight was superior right. uh, and being able to look off his fakes and, and stuff like that was a bit better. Yep. So I feel like that, that was one area, like if I'm going to nitpick. Yeah, of that course, was he wasn't area. a great skater. Wasn't, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he's a great yeah. skater, but not like NHL terms elite. Yeah, you always compare yeah. to the NHL. So compared to us, yeah, he's elite. <laughs> yeah. But to an NHL player, yeah. right? It's like that's what separates them. And uh, but I, I'll tell you, man, like he's a he's a guy I watched 
a ton uh, growing up and, and what he's what he was able to do with the stick. I'm certain he inspired uh, guys like Datsuk and, and other players who uh, came after him. I'm sure. And he's continuing to do so. He's coaching over here now. He's the head coach of the Red, Kunlun Red Star. That's right. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Sure. Um, so uh, finally, I was going to ask you what your dream job is, but I kind of think you're already living your dream job. Would I be correct in saying that? <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. This is, uh, I can't even think of anything else other than this. This is pretty spectacular. I can only imagine. And if you could do it, final question, if you could do it, coach, do clinics anywhere in the world, are you happy to stay in Canada or would you rather be uh, traveling around the world? I'm definitely happy here. I, I'm I'm obsessed with where I live in, in in Canada, Toronto specifically. I love it here, and, and but I I do love the opportunity to get outside of here. I wouldn't want to just stay here. So being able to travel to you know Asia, being able to go to Australia, other places maybe where hockey is not as big, I'm never going to turn those down. But in terms of living, uh, Canada is the place to be if you're a guy who who loves hockey and the the harsh winters that we get mean free ice for us in Toronto for like half the year. So I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> there you go. Well, I certainly hope I get a chance to meet you someday, uh, your next trip over to Asia. And um, before I let you go, just let everybody know where they can find you, how we can follow you on Instagram and social media. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's Hey Barber on Instagram, TikTok, and, and Twitter. And then YouTube, you can just type in Pavel Barber. You'll find me there. Uh, for, for longer videos. Awesome. Pavel, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time today. And I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep stick handling. Awesome. Love it, brother. And, and yeah, I hope to meet you too, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, bud. That was Across All the right. Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Sunset Studio, and Print House Limited. And a giant thank you to my producer, Andy Zombathy, who makes us sound great week in and week out. And of course, Mr. Paul McLean, who makes everything happen here at the studio. Folks, check out our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at acrossthepondhk.com.